right. What a joy to be here. I was actually going to say that the uh, session called The Message of Evangelism is the most important, but we'll go with Stephen and say this one's the most important. Uh, but I will hope, I do hope you'll come back for that one. That one's not till tomorrow. Um, Brittany and I got in yesterday. This is a beautiful area. Uh, we are so thrilled to be here. In some ways, it's, it's really a blessing for us, right? I'm supposed to come here to encourage you, but you all are encouraging us, just letting us get away from our six kids. <laughs> they are all with my parents, and we are unworried, unconcerned about them, and they'll all hopefully be alive when we get back. Um, I was telling someone that on the way over here this morning, we drove right by a Mormon church. And I drove right by it yesterday, and I think I saw it, but it didn't even register because I am so used to seeing Mormon churches everywhere that when Brittany pointed it out this morning, I was like, oh yeah, we're not in Utah. And there's a Mormon church here. They're everywhere. But in Utah, they're um, in every neighborhood, and the neighborhoods get built around the wards, they call them, the Mormon churches. So we can talk a little bit about that as we go along. What are we talking about this morning? The meaning of evangelism. The meaning of evangelism, all right? We're going to spend a little time on this topic, on the meaning of evangelism. And look, one of my goals this weekend is not to leave you feeling overwhelmed, okay? I think it's easy when somebody speaks about evangelism to make people feel like, oh, wow, he can do that, but I can't. And so I prayed against that. And my goal is to not to leave you feeling overwhelmed. I can easily, when I'm teaching, become an academic egghead. And I don't want to give you the impression that only academic eggheads can share the gospel with other people because it's just not true. Uh, so let me just be honest with you from the outset and tell you that I am not even the best evangelist in my own local church. I don't even know if I'd say I'm top five. In fact, the best evangelist in our local church... Uh, it's probably a guy named James Dant um, who has a limousine service and he literally just travels around sharing the gospel with everyone he meets. Now, I don't think he even ever, he never went to college, uh, never went to seminary, he doesn't have any formal theological education. He just loves Jesus. And he even shares the gospel in ways that I kind of, he has methods that I wouldn't necessarily adopt, but they're fine. So, a lot of times when people get, will get in his car, he'll ask them, do you know how much of the blood of Jesus it takes to cover your sins? And then he will pull out a red pebble and he'll say one drop. <laughs> and he'll give them the red pebble. Uh, so that's great. You know, that's not really my style, but that's what he does. And he's bold and he's enthusiastic. He loves Jesus. He shares the gospel. He's a great evangelist. He's in our church. I'm not even the best evangelist in our own local church, but I want to help just kind of impress upon you that if you are here today as a believer in Jesus and you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, you have been given the new birth and you have been saved by his blood and his cross and his resurrection, you can share the gospel. You can share the gospel with people. You know the message that saved you and you were able to tell it to other people. So we can finish early. Thank you for having me. Let's go. No, why are we here? Because we need encouragement. I need to be encouraged. 
to evangelize, right? For all kinds of reasons. One, we just get caught up in the busyness of life, don't we? We get caught up in the busyness of life. We get apathetic. We, we just, we, maybe we don't think about it. Sometimes we're afraid. There's all kinds of reasons that these kinds of sessions and trainings are important, even though I believe you are equipped for this task. Now, there's this really cool story in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 24. You could turn there if you want. You're, you're familiar with the story. It's, it's after Jesus has risen from the dead, and there's these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking and talking, and Jesus actually comes to them, and they don't know it's Jesus, and they say, um, and he, he says, what are you talking about? And say, have you not heard the things that have just taken place? And, and he says to them, uh, well, what things? This is Luke 24, verse 19. He says to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief, chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Do you realize what they just did? They just preached the gospel, and they don't even see Jesus for who he is. I mean, isn't that incredible? They just preached the gospel to Jesus. Well, there was this man of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty in deeds, and he actually died on a cross, and they buried him, and now it is being said that he is risen from the dead. They don't even realize that they are equipped to go out and share the gospel because their eyes haven't been opened yet. And so how does this story unfold? Well, Jesus then meets with them over a meal, and we're told in Luke that he breaks bread with them and gives it to them, and their eyes are opened. I mean, isn't it interesting? Here the resurrected Christ on the first day of this kind of new creation work gives a meal, their eyes are opened, and they see sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? When Adam ate the fruit and his eyes were opened and he saw his own nakedness. But Jesus is reversing that. He's undoing that. And so they see him for who he is. Their eyes are opened and they have now this gospel to preach. If you have seen Jesus for who he is and he has opened your eyes, you know the message. And you are capable of doing it. So I want to encourage you. We just need encouragement. So over the next four sessions, the topics are today the meaning of evangelism. The next one will be the motive of evangelism. Then we'll talk about cultivating a culture of evangelism. And we'll make some application to small groups. And then fourth, tomorrow morning in Sunday school, we'll talk about the message of evangelism. And then I'm going to preach from Acts 17 for the sermon and talk about evangelism in a culture full of idols. So that's where we're headed, all right? So let's jump into this topic on the meaning of evangelism. Now, before we say what it is, let's talk about what it is not. 
what evangelism is not. Okay, I know that many of you have read Max Stiles' book called Evangelism, and so I don't want to just repeat everything he says. It's a great book, but he talks about some of these. So does uh, Mark Dever in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. They talk about what evangelism is not. Okay, so first, evangelism is not a big event for the community that happens on the church property. So evangelism is not just an event. When I first came to Crossroads Church, the church had always done a big Easter event where there was Easter eggs and inflatables and games for the community, which is great. It's a great way to uh, bless people, but that's not in and of itself evangelism. It may lead to evangelistic conversations, but a big event is not in and of itself evangelism. Okay, in fact, the rec center down the street from us did big events and they did them a lot better than us and they weren't sharing the gospel, okay? Second, evangelism is not apologetics. Apologetics is, is giving a defense for the faith, right? It's, it's, it's those arguments that we use to prove the existence of God or to talk about the reliability of the resurrection, right? Now, evangelism is not apologetics because you could make arguments for a Christian worldview or the trustworthiness of the Bible, but not necessarily be sharing the gospel. So evangelism may involve apologetics, but apologetics in and of itself is not evangelism. Okay. Third, evangelism is not imposition. So Mark Dever points this out in his book. Some people think evangelism is imposing one's own beliefs on someone else, but that's not really right. We didn't come up with the facts of the gospel, and we cannot impose them on anyone else because we can't make anyone believe them, right? That's, that's not up to us, all right? Um, we don't force anyone to believe this message. You maybe have heard people talk about evangelism as one beggar simply telling other beggars where the bread is. Right? That's not imposition. That's, hey, I'm hungry, you're hungry, there's the bread. I'm telling you, it's right there, okay? Now, we can't make them eat, right? It's one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Fourth, evangelism is not social or political action. Evangelism is not social or political action. It can be very tempting in a culture that is uh, on a downward spiral, spiral, and where it feels like the government is getting more corrupt with each passing day and each passing year, and there is kind of a moral degradation in society, it can be very tempting for the church to kind of rally around political action. But evangelism is not organizing people to change laws or to uh, get them to vote a certain way. Now, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that, and that is a wonderful expression of love for neighbor when we uphold uh, biblical morals in society and use our, our uh, privileges that we have in our own country to vote for candidates that will uphold virtue and morality. But evangelism is not social or political action. The result of evangelism, when people get converted, will manifest itself in love for neighbor which is what political and social action could be, but evangelism in and of itself is not those things. 
There's really only one institution on planet Earth that has been charged with preaching the gospel and making disciples, and it's not your local government. It's the church, and we have to remember that. Fifth, evangelism is not personal testimony. Evangelism is not personal testimony. Now, I love hearing people's testimonies. We do it at Crossroads a lot. If we're having a potluck or bringing in a new member, we give an opportunity to share their testimony because it is encouraging to hear how God saves people. But evangelism, again, in and of itself, is not personal testimony. You may share your testimony when you are sharing the gospel with someone, right? So sometimes that happens all at the same time. But evangelism is not personal testimony. And lastly, this one is super important, evangelism is not the results of evangelism. Okay? Evangelism is not the results of evangelism. We must not think that we have only done evangelism or have been faithful in evangelism if someone gets saved. Do we want to see people get saved? Yes. But that person converting and making a profession of faith is not of the essence of what evangelism is. It's the fruit of evangelism. It may be the fruit. It may not be. Now, I know I haven't given you a definition of evangelism yet, but listen to this definition that J.I. Packer critiques in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He critiques this definition. Here's, here's the definition. To evangelize is so to present Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come to put their trust in God through him, to accept him as their savior, and serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. Now, in many ways, that sounds like a great definition. And, and, and Packer even says there is a lot of strength to this definition, so what doesn't he like about it? Well, he says it makes the results of evangelism essential to the definition. It says to evangelize is so to present Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come to put their trust in God through him. He says it should say that they may come, they might come, okay? He thinks this definition says the essence of evangelizing is producing converts. Now, do we want people to get saved? Well, yeah. Do you have family members who don't believe the gospel and you've shared the gospel with them? Do you want them to be saved? Well, yeah. But have you done evangelism if you present the gospel and they reject it? Yes. And we need to remember this because uh, we have to remember that only God gives life to the dead. We can't do it. Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. God calls us to share the gospel, but only God brings dead sinners to life. You can think of the parable of the soils. The seed falls on different kinds of soil, but it takes root in the good soil. We scatter the seed. We can't control the results. The Apostle Paul, again, said he could not control the results of his preaching. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 17. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to, 
to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So he says, we preach, and to some, the gospel is an aroma of life, and to some, it is an aroma of death. But Paul can't control that. That depends on the sovereign work of God's grace, you see. So we speak Christ. We preach the gospel. We know this is true. I mean, in our own church, I could give you two examples that has all happened recently. We have one lady um, who hasn't been coming of late, but came to church for a long time. She would come with her believing husband. She was not a believer. She heard the gospel, and I would share the gospel with her over and over and over, and he had shared the gospel with her, and she has not made a profession of faith. We have another guy uh, named Austin who's been coming now for a year, and about four or five months ago, I said, you know, Austin, what do you believe about these things? And he's like, oh, I believe it. Oh. <laughs> Sadly, even as a pastor, sometimes like, oh, you do? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose from the dead for my sins. Oh, okay, well, we should talk about you getting baptized and joining the church. And he has been baptized. He made a public profession of faith. He has joined the church. He's growing in his discipleship. He heard the same gospel as the other lady. They both came to church. I talked to both of them. They heard it over and over. What's the difference? It is God who gives the increase. So evangelism is not the results of evangelism. And that should encourage you. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to worry. How are they going to respond? You're just, you're just telling them the truth, okay? So we should now ask the question, what is evangelism? We've talked about what it is not. What is evangelism? I've already said it in various ways, but let me give you some definitions. These are on the notes, uh, the handout, if you're taking any notes on those handouts. First is Max Stiles. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. I think Bobby may have given a sermon where he quoted this definition. Am I right about that, Bobby? I listened to some of that. It was really good. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. I like that definition. It's short. It's simple. It's right on. Okay, we'll probably come back to it. Uh, here's Charles Spurgeon. Um, instructing a man that he may know the truth of God. Another simple definition. Uh, now, he talks about what the content of that truth is and what the gospel is, but that's just the condensed uh, definition. Here's a definition from the Lausanne Conference of 1974, a conference on missions and evangelism. To evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, and that as the reigning Lord, he now offers forgiveness of sins and the liberating gift of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. It's a great definition. It is proclaiming the gospel, right? Let me give you one more. J.I. Packer, in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, according to the New Testament, evangelism is just preaching the gospel, the evangel. Now, he goes on to say more. Let me give you this quote from Packer. You can listen to it. He says of evangelism, it is a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces for God's message of mercy to sinners. Anyone who faithfully delivers that message under whatever circumstances 
in a large meeting, in a small meeting, from a pulpit, or in private conversation, is evangelizing. Since the divine message finds its climax in a plea from the creator to a rebel world to turn and put faith in Christ, the delivering of it involves the summoning of one's hearers to conversion. If you are not, in this sense, seeking to bring about conversions, you are not evangelizing. But the way to tell whether, in fact, you are evangelizing is not to ask whether conversions are known to have resulted from your witness. It is to ask whether you are faithfully making known the gospel message. So common to all these definitions is that evangelism is about speaking, communicating, teaching the gospel with the aim, as Stiles said, to persuade recognizing that persuasion doesn't finally depend on us. Now, doesn't that definition of evangelism give you some encouragement? It encourages me. The, the burden to convert people does not fall on us. If that was the case, I would have ceased to be a pastor a long time ago because a lot of people hear my preaching and they don't come back. I once heard a pastor say to other pastors, and I've always found it encouraging, he said, don't be surprised that when people, after hearing you preach, that they, uh, that they don't come back, you should be surprised that they return the following Sunday. <laughs> I think one of the reasons people don't evangelize is because they think they have to be a salesman. We're not selling anything. And if someone asks you a question that you don't have an answer to, it's okay if you don't have an answer. <laughs> because evangelism is not answering every possible question that an unbeliever may throw at you. It is simply telling, well, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know Jesus rose from the dead. I'm just telling you, Jesus rose from the dead. I once had someone try to evangelize me to yoga. It was in the airport. It was years ago. I was a college student. And he came up to me. And it wasn't just like exercise. It was more like Hindu and yoga. And he had this book. And he's like, I'm going to tell you about this. And, and I didn't know a lot. But I was like, well, no, uh, the Bible's true. That's not true. And he's like, no, this predates Moses. This is true. And I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, no, it's not. And he walked away. And he was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> that was the great apologetics that I had done in that moment, right? <laughs> I don't feel bad about it. You know why? Because I stood up for the truth. I didn't have all the answers, right? But I stood up for the truthfulness of the Bible. Back to the point. The point I'm making is that evangelism is simply communicating the gospel with the aim to persuade, recognizing that final persuasion depends on God. I love the definition of effectual calling from the Baptist catechism. Listen to this. It says, effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he, that's God's spirit, doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Who does the persuading and the enabling ultimately? It is the spirit of Christ. When he opens our eyes so that we are free from the bondage of sin to see the beauty of Christ and we are persuaded effectually that he is the Savior. 
And God does that through our stumbling, bumbling presentations of the gospel. Now, the New Testament uh, uh, teaches us a lot about evangelism and the meaning of it. So I want us to look at the example of the Apostle Paul for a few minutes. The example of the, the Apostle Paul. And we'll try to wrap up uh, around 945. So hang in there a little longer. Paul talks about his ministry as a stewardship. A stewardship. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4.1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He's a steward. What was true of him was true of Apollos and Cephas. That's the context. They were servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. Steward is a manager of his master's message. What he calls here the mysteries of God. What was hidden in the Old Testament that has now been revealed. This mystery. And what is it? Well, it is that God has made Christ king of the universe. That through his death and resurrection, he has ascended to heaven. He rules over all. And he is the only name under heaven given among men by which they can be saved. Paul sees himself simply as a steward of that message. He's not a salesman of that message, right? Praise God that God doesn't call us to be salesmen. Now, if some of you are salesmen, praise God for you. You're good at that. That's a great job. I am not good at that kind of stuff. I was an ambassador for Southern Seminary. It was the student role when I was a student there, and one of our assignments was to call alumni to try to persuade them to give money to the school. And I was terrible at it. And I felt awkward and I didn't know what to say. Thankfully, they give us a manuscript that we could read, right? In sales, you feel the burden of getting the results, if you, especially if you work on commission. It's pressure, but evangelism is not like that. It's a stewardship. What, what is a steward? A steward is someone entrusted to care for something that belongs to someone else. We, we have been made stewards of the gospel of God. We're to protect it. We're to preserve it. We are to communicate it accurately, but we don't try to beautify it. We don't try to manipulate it. We simply steward it, steward the message. Imagine if a mailman had not only to deliver the mail, but come up with the content of the mail. What if he had to write the bills and the advertisements and all of that, and deliver it. Nobody would be a mailman. The mailman just delivers the message. That's what we're called to do. We just deliver the message. We're stewards. It's like house sitting. If you've ever done house sitting, what's your job when you are watching someone's house? To make sure it is up, kept up and cared for the way the owner would like it kept up and cared for. I've done this a few times. In fact, I helped Brittany do it. Well, no, she was a nanny when we were dating in Kentucky for this family. And I went over to help her one day, and I walked the owner's dog. And it was a puppy. And I was foolish and got back to the house and unleashed the puppy before I opened the door to put him in. And he ran away. And I chased him all over the neighborhood because I was a steward 
of someone else's dog. And I w- actually, Brittany was responsible for the dog. Thankfully, the little seven-year-old boy was able to woo this dog back. And Brittany still married me. <laughs> stewards are responsible for something that belongs to someone else. We are stewards of the gospel. Stewards of it, right? I take mission teams occasionally to do evangelism. And a couple times this summer, we just did door knocking. People still do that. We still do it. It's one way to share the gospel. Uh, It's what the Mormon church does when they send out their 18-year-olds all over the world. They just knock on doors so they kind of know if someone knocks that they should be courteous uh, to them. And so we did some door knocking, and I would tell people right when they answered the door, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm here with my friends from, we had Korea, Korea people with us. We had Kentucky people. Um, We're not selling you anything. Uh, We're here asking people about their religious beliefs, and we would like to tell you about the gospel. I'm not selling anything. I'm just here to to tell you this message. I'm a steward, a steward. Well, second, Paul also talked about himself as an ambassador, an ambassador. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He's asking for prayer. He's saying, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I mean, isn't that encouraging right there that Paul solicited prayer for boldness? This was the Apostle Paul. We should pray for boldness. If Paul needed prayer for boldness, we should pray for boldness. For which I am an ambassador, an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. He said, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's an ambassador. In his evangelism, in his gospel proclamation, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is an authorized representative of the king. He is one who has been deputized, commissioned to represent the king's authority and to herald the king's message. That's an ambassador. Look, a steward and an ambassador, they're not inventors. They're not marketers. They're simply called faithfully to care for their master's estate, herald their master's message, and represent their master's authority. That's what they do. We deliver God's message, brothers and sisters. We are stewards and ambassadors. And lastly, like Paul, we aim to persuade. We aim to persuade. 2 Corinthians 5.20, listen to how Paul talks about himself again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, we implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Or in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You see what his desire was? It was to so present the gospel that he might persuade them, that they might believe. This was his desire. 
but it never means we water down or manipulate the message. Because the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. We're called to protect it, to deliver it faithfully and accurately, but we need not manipulate it. We don't have to dress it up, make it more sophisticated, add to it or subtract from it. We don't need to, as Packer says, beautify it with the cosmetics of high heels, of fashionable learning in order to make people look at it. We don't need to do any of that. That's not on us. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. We simply preach Christ. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And when I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you think you can do evangelism? I am 100% confident that you can. If you are here as a Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, if you are indwelt by the spirit, you can communicate Christ and him crucified to the lost. So I'm going to pray for you, and then it sounds like we're going to have some time for questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made us a royal priesthood to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Lord, I pray for all of us here today. I pray, Lord, for this weekend where we are focusing our attention on this topic of evangelism, that you would use it to encourage us. Lord, we need to be encouraged. You have indeed given us the spirit and your word, and you have equipped us to share the gospel, Lord, and we need boldness. We need the encouragement that comes from your word and from other believers. So help us to be faithful in the mission that you've given us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.